Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have one, that's cool. Uh, we're going to put it up on the screen. We've been studying through this book together on Sunday nights uh, for a couple months. And uh, took a break last week um, to talk about Lent uh, because Lent started Wednesday. Um, and uh, if, if you weren't here, hopefully you got the word, but we started Wednesday reading through the Gospel of John, uh, six days a week. Um, there's, uh, we'll put on the homepage of our website what the reading is for that day. Um, if you didn't start on Wednesday or you didn't hear, hear or whatever, we haven't gotten that far, so you have plenty of time to catch up. Uh, but every day, uh, there's just a section of the Gospel of John that we're going to read, uh, starting at the beginning, going all the way uh, through Easter. Um, should be a, a pretty, a pretty interesting journey for us. And uh, we're going to try to get the podcast up in a couple of days. If you weren't here, um, we talked about Lent and a little bit of the history, not not too much, but just kind of how it fits in the church calendar and why it might be important. Uh, in community groups this week, uh, we're going to talk about the same thing. Uh, we're going to take a, a hit pause just for one week on the attributes of God's study. Um, this is a really uh, strong time uh, in the, the year of the church, uh, a time of, of sacrifice, time of focus, um, a time of uh, orienting our minds and our hearts uh, in the direction of Christ. It's going to be really good. So uh, we put um, on the tear-off part of the little handout that you got, uh, there's prayer requests. We pray for something specific each day, and we put the scriptures on there too. So you can get it there. You can get it on the uh, homepage um, or, or whatever. Also, if you follow us on Twitter, we put it on Twitter, yeah. uh, whatever. So, um, yeah, join us in that. That'll be, that'll be a real good deal. Um, so, if you weren't here last week, you didn't miss anything on the Corinthians study. So, I know you're worried about that. So, um, we're going to pick up in chapter 8. Um, and let me just give a little bit of context for this particular chapter. Um, when when Paul, uh, a part of his time in Corinth, uh, what, he was, what he's been doing, not only in, uh, in Corinth, but also in the other churches in the region, um, he's been taking up uh, an offering to bring uh, back to uh, the, the church in Jerusalem. So the Christians in Jerusalem were experiencing all kinds of uh, persecution, and uh, they were kind of just boxed out of, of society. You know, they, they couldn't keep jobs. They couldn't, uh, they, I mean, they were just ostracized completely. Um, and as you can imagine, um, for Jerusalem to be the capital of Judaism um, and for Christianity to to part company with Judaism on such like an important issue as far as like who is Jesus um, certainly created a lot of division. And so you had people who were um, kicked out of their families for converting to Christianity. You had people who lost their jobs for converting to Christianity. You had people who experienced all kinds of social injustices because of their faith in Christ. Um, some sometimes even cost them their lives. And so uh, the church in Jerusalem was suffering uh, just in greater ways than churches in other parts of, of the region uh, because it is the home of Judaism. And so what Paul was doing is he was going to the other group of believers and said, hey, there's a, uh, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are, are suffering 
um, let's take up a collection so we can help ease their suffering so that they can, you know, eat and uh, have a place to stay and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, so that's what he's doing. And so that's what he's addressing here at this point in the letter is he's going back to the issue of the offering um, that had been collected. You may remember that Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth and then he moved on to somewhere else and uh, was kind of discipling that group and those leaders from afar and they had all kinds of problems. So while he was there, this offering, they were all pumped about it. And uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about how um, he, he had sent this difficult letter with Titus to the, to the church in Corinth. Um, it was just a difficult thing. He had to address some difficult issues and and he was waiting to meet up with Titus to find out to, to find out how it was received and everything. When Titus met up with him, the the good news was they received the letter really well. And we worked through some of the issues and they've repented and they've had a, it's a complete change of heart. And all your prayers with that have been answered. Um, the bad news was they haven't collected a dime that they said that they were going to collect for the church in Jerusalem. And so now he kind of shifts gears and he's addressed their their change of heart and how wonderful that is and, and everything. And now he's going to be like, okay, now let's talk about something else that is equally as important. Let's talk about our brothers and sisters over there who are suffering. And so that's sort of the background here as we pick up in verse 8. Um, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All right, we're going to stop right there. Uh, churches in Macedonia, Macedonia was a region, um, and uh, at one point it was an incredibly wealthy region. They had, uh, they had gold mines there, and of course gold produced a lot of wealth, obviously. And so at one, one time it was awesome, and then because of wars, because of taxes, because of just getting defeated in wars and getting pillaged, uh, they had gone from being really wealthy to being just super poor. And, and so that was sort of the situation, and everybody knew that. And so, um, so when he talks about the, the churches of Macedonia and their extreme poverty, it wasn't, he wasn't just like saying that to be dramatic. Like this was, a, this was just a poor, impoverished region and where these believers were. And so, um, so he says, uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Okay, so grace of God. And then verse 2 says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Um, Paul connects uh, grace with generosity. He connects them together. The grace of God and generosity, he puts them together. Um, and I believe that a part of what he's doing in this passage, I think he's discipling this group of people and, and having uh, a kingdom-centered view of money. And so we're going to talk about money tonight. And if you uh, hate the fact that preachers talk too much about money, uh, this really, we don't talk about it that much. Uh, so if it's your first time here and that's your biggest pet peeve about churches, I promise you. We're going through the letter one part at a time, and that's just the next part we got to. So, uh, so it is fairly uh, rare that we talk about money, but but I think um, just don't check out on us just yet. Um, having a kingdom center view of money um, is is something that we're all 
trying to learn, right? We're all trying to figure this out. So this is not a room full of people who have like, who have like, like mastered that side of our uh, of our faith. Um, we've not all arrived at the point where like we are where Paul is, and so he's trying to bring them on board. He's trying to shed some new light and disciple them and teach them something new. And so uh, it would uh, behoove us to like fall under that discipleship as well as we're continuing to try to learn uh, and figure this out. So he connects grace and generosity in a way that's that's really really unique. Um, money uh, in a in a in a kingdom of the world uh, sense, uh, you can define it a bunch of different ways. I heard it described one time, and this makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Uh, as like money is, it's a unit of reward that's given for work that you have done. You know, so if you get a job and uh, they say you do this this work and we will reward you by paying you this much per hour or this much per year or you know whatever um, it may not feel like a reward uh, when you get your paycheck like, yes I feel so rewarded uh, and it may not be a, a rewarding spirit on the part of your employer either um, but but think about money and that's kind of how it is and especially if you go back to think when you're younger you know and your parents are like this is your allowance you do these chores and your reward is that you get this allowance that's why we love uh, money for nothing so much. Not, not the, the straight song. Like money, like, that's why we like getting some money for nothing. I won't sing the next part, but you all are. I know you are. Uh, yeah. That's why it's so awesome because you're like, oh, I get rewarded for doing zero work. You find a $20 bill on the ground, and you're like, I just got rewarded for walking down the sidewalk. Like, that's awesome. And that's the way the world looks at it. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to, uh, in, the, in a worldly sense, accumulate as much of these units of reward as we can. Jesus uh, like, kind of personifies money a little bit, talks about it being uh, like a force. And that's where, I mean, that's so much injustice in the world comes from that. Um, and so I, without getting into all that kind of stuff, uh, let me just say this. Uh, money is not evil. Our attachment to money can lead to all kinds of evil. But we don't have to live in that kind of bondage. We don't have to be enslaved to a worldly view of, of money. Um, college students, you don't have to listen to your professors. I mean, some of you, even your parents, are telling you, you need to get this job because you can make more money. Uh, it's, not a, it's not about that. Um, we can break free from that kingdom of the world mindset of money and look at the kingdom of heaven mindset of money. And so I'm not here to say that money is bad, money is evil. Um, we're, it's our weird attachment to it, and God is breaking us from that. And I think Paul is discipling these, these Corinthians in this in part because they lived in a very wealthy city. And while Macedonia had gone from rich to poor, Corinth had just gotten richer and richer and richer and richer. And so maybe there was still some heart attachment issues there. So he connects grace to generosity. Uh, a couple years ago, um, we did uh, a series on Sunday nights of the ring, just looking at identity in Christ and how it fits into different parts of life. And we looked at money one night. And sort of our working definition was, was something like this, um, that God entrusts money to us. 
in order to meet our needs and to meet the needs of others, uh, all for his glory. So God entrusts money to us uh, to meet our needs and to meet the needs of others, all for his glory. Um, all the money in the world, I mean, everything, everything you see in this room, everything on the planet belongs to him. And so all the money is his in the first place. And so uh, you may think that your employer or, or whatever, however money comes into your life, that that is where your money comes from. But all of our money comes from the Lord. He owns it. And he entrusts it to us in different capacities. The, the, like the church word for this would be stewardship. And that comes down, uh, it goes back years and years and years when, when you had someone who was like a landowner and uh, whatever, if he was to leave, uh, to, I don't know, go on vacation or something, uh, he, would, he would put somebody in charge of his house, of, of all the, those who work there, who work the fields, uh, in charge of the money, in charge of, of everything, and the entire estate would be entrusted to this one person called the steward. And so um, the, the owner would look at the steward and basically say, okay, I'm going to be gone for six weeks, and you are in charge of everything. The people, the crops, the efficiency of our business, the way the household runs, the money, everything, um, you are the steward of that. I'm going to be back in six weeks. And so when, when we talk about stewardship and good stewardship, it is when the master is gone, the things that he has entrusted to the steward being a good steward of those things. That you wouldn't, you wouldn't you know, squander all the money, you wouldn't let the workers do whatever they want, you wouldn't let the business fail, you wouldn't let the house fall apart. Um, that you would do all that you could while the master was gone to, um, to run things as he would until he gets back. And so that's when we say God has entrusted money to us, he looks at each of us and says, this money is mine, but I'm going to entrust you with this much. And maybe it's this much per hour, or this much in a year, or this much whatever, or this much in allowance, or you know, whatever. Um, whatever it is, God is saying, I'm going to entrust this to you. So it's real important for us to recognize the fact that while we think it's our money, it's our paycheck, it's our, our savings account, our retirement, it's really not ours. It's his that has been entrusted to us. And that's, that's a crucial, crucial like, thing for us. Because we're so attached to money and we're so attached to our possessions, um, that sometimes we forget that we're just the stewards, that the master is like, coming back. And so he's letting you look over his house, his apartment, his car, his wardrobe, so to speak, uh, his whatever. So God entrusts money to us. Um, to meet our needs. So money comes into your life so that you can eat, so that you have clothing, uh, so that you have a roof over your head, um, so that the needs, like the legitimate needs that we have are being met. And uh, so our needs are met, and it's to meet the needs of other people. And so once our needs are met, we should be looking in how, to ways how can we Make sure that those around us, that their needs are being met, and those far from us are being met. And as we become aware of needs that are out there, we're making sure that those are being met. Now, don't hear me saying that you we, you know, that you can't ever do anything fun with your finances. That you can't save for a vacation. That you can't, uh, you know, have hobbies and have all kinds. That's that's not. Please don't hear me saying that. 
Um, and I know that sometimes we confuse needs with wants and all that stuff, and that's not what this is about. But we have we have to look at the reason why money flows into our lives. Um, biblically, it would there's not a whole lot of support uh, for some of the ways that we tend to think about money and accumulation and all that kind of stuff. And so I think a part of us like learning how to have a kingdom uh, view of money is is this is what Paul does is to stop seeing money as a unit of reward for work or whatever, or a way to get rich or get more stuff or whatever it is, and start seeing it like he does, where he connects money to grace. That money is a tangible form of grace that comes into your life, that God entrusts grace to you. He entrusts grace to you in, in Christ. He entrusts grace to you in the scriptures. He entrusts grace to you within community and within the church. He entrusts grace to you within the financial aspects of life. It's tangible grace. He says, look, I want you to eat. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide um, currency for you to be able to eat. One day you won't need currency. Once Jesus comes back and fixes everything, whatever, you won't need that. But for now, you're going to need this, and I want to make sure that you have it. Isn't that, isn't that grace? I mean, that gracious of him? If grace is, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself because I love you, not because you earned it, not because you owe it to you, just because I love you, I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. I'm going to provide this for you. So grace flows into our lives in many ways, and money is one of those. And so it comes in to meet our needs, to make sure that we're taken care of, and then it's supposed to flow through us into the lives of other people, to meet the needs of other people. And so that's what Paul is that he's saying that's what happened here. Let's read it again. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. When it says wealth right there, it's not talking about uh, that they gave like trillions of dollars. When Paul talks about wealth all throughout his letters, he, were, he, he talks about the riches of God's grace. He's talking about spiritual wealth. It doesn't matter what the total was. When he says generosity, I find this to be interesting. The Greek word there, uh, I can't pronounce, so I'll spare you that. Um, when we see generosity, we tend to think like, wow, that person gives a lot of money. When he uses generosity here, he means it in, in the sense of expressing the unity of the body of Christ. Like the simplicity and the oneness of heart and mind that exists among Christians. That's the wealth of generosity that existed in the Macedonian churches. It says, in the midst of this affliction, they have all this joy. And there's this wealth of generosity. There are these deep, deep riches of understanding that we are all one. And they gave because they know there's no division among us. They gave because they know there are my siblings in Jerusalem are not able to eat. And that shouldn't be. And so they gave. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture. And so for us, if we're still trying to learn how to figure this out, to, to recognize that as stewards, we're to make sure that that money is going where it's supposed to go, that we are um, 
operating financially in the way that the master would operate financially. So that on his return, he is pleased with how we've been conducting ourselves. Let's keep going. There's some real good stuff in here. Um, verse 3. It says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, um, of their own accord. All right? Now, we're going to talk about means and all kinds of stuff in a minute. That last part, of their own accord. Um, like they, they being the Macedonian Christians, they wanted to give. It's a heart issue. Look at the next verse. This kind of freaks him out. Verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. But he's almost like, okay, it's almost like Paul saying this. Like, I didn't have to go in and beg them to give. Once I presented the need, they were begging us to let them take, like, be a part of this relief. Almost like, don't please don't deprive us of the opportunity that we have to help bless uh, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. In this impoverished area, that's their that's their heartbeat. That's the generosity that's there. Because they know we're all one. Why would we let one of our own go hungry? It doesn't make sense. I love that so much. And and. To be honest, I mean, I can, I can relate to what Paul's saying. Because there are so many times in our long five-year history where we've come before you and said, this is a need. And, I mean, the, the need was more than that. And whether it's uh, doing wells uh, for Living Water International, whether it's uh, Pimp Santa's Ride, remember that? Uh, whether it's that, uh, whether it's sending kids to camp, I mean, uh, we, uh, everything. I mean, they're just, you're, we have such... Such a wonderful spirit here that when needs are presented, um, there's just there's this desire that's there to give. And the truth is, uh, this is not a plug by any means, but um, we don't bring a lot of stuff in front of you like that because we have this budget that's set up. And so the elders sit down, the finance team consults, and we say, all right, we're anticipating this much money is going to come in in 2011. And here's our plan of how to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us in that time. And so within that is Breakfast on the Levee, is um, Hope of Life, which is the boys' home in India. It is Mexico. It is mission trips. It's sending people on mission trips. Um, it's um, kids' ministry and nursery ministry and youth ministry and college ministry. It's all these things. It's, it's, it's taking care of the staff. It's making sure we have insurance in case something you know, goes wrong. It's uh, it's all this stuff, and and ten percent of that goes and, and flows into other ministries too. We have this need that's just always there in front of us, and so that is is presenting itself all the time. So when we come to you and say, "Hey, we're taking a special offering," we're going outside of that budget, but that budget is is all the time for us. We're always trying um, to uh, to allow the grace of God to flow into your lives, into my life, and then through us into into the offering buckets back then. And then from there, we take that and we pass that on into other people's lives. Like, it just it just keeps going. It's like one of those, like, cascading, like, waterfalls that goes like this, you know, or whatever. That was good. I think that's what you call it. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. It doesn't, it doesn't ever stop. And so Paul is saying, like, look, these... It was of their own accord, like they were like 
please let us participate. Please don't deny us this opportunity. And I know how he feels because here at, at the ring over the years, it's been that way over and over and over again. Um, look at the next verse. Uh, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. It's a good order. At first they went to the Lord, and then they came to Paul. And so we always say, we're like, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna ever say like, all right, ten percent tithe is what it is. Get the calculator out, figure it out. Uh, this is before taxes, uh, you know, whatever. Um, figure it out down to the penny and whatever. It's not, it's not how it is. Um, we're always going to encourage you to involve the Lord in how you give and how you spend. Um, a lot of times we, we want him to guide us with you know, job decisions and family decisions and what to major in and all this kind of stuff. But when it comes to money, it's like, no, I got this. And so we're always going to push one another to pray about finances and how much should, should we give? How should we set up our budgets in order to like, for our needs to be met and the needs of others to be met? How is this going to work? Um, but what's interesting is that in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it was a 10% deal. And everywhere in the New Testament, um, Jesus just ups the ante every time, every time, every time. He says, you were told this, but I'm telling you this, and the bar just goes up, the bar just goes up. And so while I would not at all say 10% tithe, I would say he asked a lot more of the New Covenant people than the Old Covenant people. And believe me, that's a, that's a tough, tough thing. Um, for me, and I'm not up here saying, like, I'm the perfect tither. Y'all listen to me. Like, I, I understand where it is, and we're all in this together. But it's certainly is time, and Paul's about to push them really hard in just a second. Um, and I think God is, is going to continue to push us as, as a younger church to figure out this giving stuff. Because he's opened up so many opportunities for us. And to be honest with you, we don't have enough money coming in to meet all the opportunities that, and the open doors he has in front of us. We never do. Luckily, we had like a ridiculous amount of money in the first two years, uh, kind of stored up. So, like, you know, we're keep di dipping into that nest egg. And I think what God is continually showing the elders is like, look, these, this is the way your church is going to look. You're going to be involved in people's lives in the, in the sense that you're always going to be helping keep the lights on, helping keep food on the table. You're going to help people go to rehab. You're going to help. You're going to help people. You're going to help people. You're going to help people. That's not going away. And I think it, if you look at this sovereign plan, he knew in years three, four, and five, we were going to have more going out than coming in. So in years one and two, he helped more come in than go out. He's like, look, y'all aren't ready for three, four, and five yet, so I'm going to take one and two, start shaping your hearts, and then I'm just going to, like, blast you financially. I'm going to call you to do all these crazy things that make zero sense. And you're going to... You're going to have these spreadsheets printed out with, like, the red and the black, you know, and black black, black is good, right? Red is bad. There's a lot of red on ours. He's like, it's okay because the heart, the heart is driving all this. And I, and I think over and over again, God sends little messages to us. And one of the messages is like, you know all the money's mine, right? You know who's going to pay for it? I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it through people. But I'm going to pay for it. And we are the people. Let me get back to the text before I get too far off track. Um, 
Look at verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus uh, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Keep that in mind. Act of grace. Basically saying Titus is going to start uh, collecting the offering again. This act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's looking at this church. He's like, you excel in so many beautiful and wonderful things. Excel in this too. Excel in this act of grace, just like you excel in these other acts of grace. And and I don't bring that to you tonight as like, uh, as um, anything other than the fact that when I read that, like that's, I feel like that's an indictment on my life. Not an indictment negative, indictment good. Uh, if you can have a good indictment, I don't know. Um, I don't look at that and think, like, yeah, man, the ring needs to hear that. I look at that and I think, I, I need that. Maybe you, maybe you can, can relate, like maybe you can see God working in, in so many areas of your life and you see all this fruit. Maybe this is one of those ones where you're not excelling. Maybe this is an act of grace where there isn't excellence yet when it comes to that form of grace in your life. So he's not fussing at them. He's encouraging them. saying, you, there's so much, God's doing so much in your life. Push into this too. Look where he goes with it. He says, I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, okay, meaning the Macedonian churches, that your love also is genuine. That your love for your fellow siblings in the Lord is genuine. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. There's a theology of giving that he just puts in this one little sentence. He's like, Jesus was rich, meaning, and not in a, like, in a dollars kind of way. Jesus was rich, meaning he was in heaven. And he became poor, meaning compared to heaven, earth is extreme poverty. He experienced the poverty of this world, and because he did, we become rich spiritually. And that should ignite in us a desire to give. Like, he's connecting grace that we think of, the grace of God flowing into our lives. We think about it in the sense of salvation. Jesus came here, and because he came here, we are saved, and then we are sent out to try to get other people saved. He brings, he says the same thing happens with money. That grace flows into your life in the form of finances, and then it's supposed to flow into the lives of other people. It's a theology of giving. We give because we are rich in Christ. And it seems like two different things, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like, wait, that's finances and that's spiritual life. It's like, no, no, no. Every part of life is spiritual. There's really no such thing as like, how's your spiritual life versus what? How's your social life? How's your, how's your love life? How's your financial life? How's your whatever? No, it's all one life. And the grace of God permeates every single bit of it. And Paul's saying, like, there's so much that's going on. Here's an area where you, you can excel some more. 
And this is this next part is where I even more jumped into it. Verse ten. In this matter, I give you, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Saying you have these big hearts and you heard this need and you got stirred up and you're like, we're going to do this, we're going to give, we're going to meet this need, yes. So you had those desires, but the follow-through wasn't there. I'm like, that's, that's like my whole life, it seems like, you know. These great ideas, my heart gets stirred up, I want to do all this, whatever, and then when push comes to shove, I just like either don't do it or I forget or, you know, I'm just not organized enough to get things together and, you know. I think even just giving to the church is such a, it's such a complicated thing for so many of us because more and more we live in like a checklist society, you know. It's like, who has checks? I mean, some of you, I won't ask you to raise your hands because that would be weird, but some of you, probably the only physical check you write goes back then. So we had a discussion the other day about, you know, doing online giving with churches and all this kind of stuff. And is it okay? And all this, you know, whatever. I understand that. I understand that apparently going all the way back to the first century, the issue of you're desiring something and then not carrying it out has been a problem for believers. And so Paul, in a very pastorally loving way, is just pushing them saying, you've got the heart for it, you just need to get it done. That's all there is to it, you just need to get it done. And I read that, and the Lord spoke to me, and it was, you just need to do it. Desire is great, but you need to walk it out. Look at the next, the next thing. Um, verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay? Being ready, give what you have. Look at the next verse. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. He talks about, said in the beginning of the chapter, about giving uh, within your means and beyond your means and everything. Um, lots of people are... I think don't give because they feel like, I mean, what good is this going to do? I don't make much money, so they're not going to feel it if I give this money. They're not going to feel it if I don't give this money. Uh, I could really use this money, whatever. Um, And you tell them is that it's really not about that. It's a heart issue. It's interesting that he didn't tell them what the grand total was that the Macedonian churches gave. That would totally happen today, wouldn't it? If you're going to brag on somebody. You know, this church gave $25 million to this offering. He doesn't say that. He points back to their heart, the wealth of generosity within their hearts, because that's what God's going for. It doesn't matter what you give as far as the amount goes. It's not the issue. It's never the issue. It all comes down in this very last verse that he says in this section. It says, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right, what the heck? 
So you just talked about like fairness and inequality and how like you have a lot, and so um, you have a lot, then you should give some of that lot to those who don't have much at all, so that you can supply for them, so they don't have need, and it's just like it's just this equality and this fairness that's going on. And he quotes this random verse from Exodus 16. What in the world is that all about? Um, in Exodus 16, it talks about manna. Um, and, and this is the point. Um, when, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to feed these millions and millions of people. So there they are. They're wandering around. They aren't sure what to do. And um, so God would send quail. All right, all of a sudden it's like quail would just fall everywhere or whatever for them to eat. And then in the mornings they'd come out and there was dew on the on the ground or whatever. And the, the dew would, when it dried, it was like this flaky whatever. And they're like, what is it? And they're like, it's bread from heaven. And so God told them all to go and to gather it. And it's when you go back and read it, it's real confusing because he tells them, take all that you can eat. All right. Um. So some took a little bit, some took a lot, you know, whatever. Um, and then he says uh, to, like, measure it. That everybody's taking an omer of it, which is like half a gallon. And so it says everybody's, like, out there, like, taking what they can eat. But when it came time to measure it, everybody had an omer's worth. And so those who took a lot, there was nothing left over. It was exactly what they needed. And those who just took a little bit, well, they weren't, it's not like they were sitting around being hungry. As they began to collect it, they were collecting one thing. When it came time to actually measure it, everybody was the same. Weird. So Paul quotes this, as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. What he's doing is he's pointing to the supply of God. And God is the is the great provider for us. He provides money so we can live, so that we can help other people live. And what Paul was doing is he was not taking up a collection of money to send to Jerusalem. Paul looked at it as I'm taking a collection of grace to send to them. Because God is the great supplier. Every one of our needs has been completely met in Him. And manna, meeting that need, points to Jesus, meeting all of our needs. And Paul ties that in and drops this little proverb in there at the end of this section. He says, hey, don't forget, every need of the Israelites was met. God meets needs. And that makes that whole offering collection for the Jerusalem church, it makes it make so much sense when you think about it like that. Not saying, hey, let's collect money. He's saying, hey, let's collect grace. We've received so much grace. There's some over here that need grace. Let's collect up and send it over. God wants to provide for them through us. That's a kingdom-centered view of money, finances, and how the world works. And I don't know how it fits into your life. It, you may, may not. 
or it may be incredibly relevant right now. I don't really know. Sometimes we are the givers of grace, and sometimes we are the receivers of grace from others. We often in the story different ways. Paul is discipling this, this church and saying, this is how we need to see money. So I think all of us in our discipleship can learn from what he's sharing. Uh, let's, let's pray again. Lord, um, I mean, you know that we, uh, we struggle with stuff like this. We've grown up in a world that, uh, that's just kind of just structured a certain way. And so we're trying to learn how to overcome that. And so we need your help in this greatly because this is one of those things that's so ingrained in us. Uh, it takes more than um, you know, simple um, thinking about it once or twice to kind of figure things out. And so we ask that you would, would be our helper and our guide as we push through this journey. Um, that you would help us to, to have that theological understanding the, the richness of Christ and the poverty he endured here on the earth so that we may become rich. And in our spiritual richness, we are called to be generous. We are called to, to look at the world as you look at the world. I pray that we would excel in this act of grace as well. We thank you that through your poverty we have become rich. We thank you for the grace that flows into our lives in all its various forms. We thank you that you supply all of our needs, that you just directly take care of us. Sometimes it's through a job, sometimes it's through the generosity of others, sometimes it's through relationships, sometimes it's through your word sometimes I mean it just takes on so many forms but you take care of us I pray that um, I pray that we would stop looking to material things trying to have the latest whatever or um, a bigger collection of whatever it just wouldn't be about that That if we're trying to accumulate wealth, it's so that we can help more people, so that more grace can flow into other people's lives. That we would be the kind of people who, once our needs are met, we just we want to overflow in that wealth of generosity like the Macedonian churches. And it's not about statistics and numbers, it's about a heart. I pray that we would continue to be the kind of people that to have that kind of care like those churches did. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.